This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 34. We're still talking Jessica Jones, this time episode 4, a.k.a. 99 Friends. Welcome back, Defenders. This is episode 34 of Defenders TV Podcast on Jessica Jones. And we're talking AKA 99 Friends. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And I'm Chris, and I round out this trio of crazy Marvel fiends. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. We're uh, on to episode four of Jessica Jones. How are you finding it, John? Really good, yeah. I mean, this episode, I thought, definitely was um, slower. It definitely helped probably transfer uh, events that occurred in in the last episode through there's obviously the big shock ending that we're we're going to talk about something mm-hmm. very close to home for Jessica but um in the main I felt that this was setting up for sort of a, a, a new uh, wave of events to, to 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 begin and to start within within the series so I but it was still solid. I thought it was still good um, and definitely something you have to kind of keep an eye on and watch out for, um, obviously, f- moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Chris? For me, this was very much the um, the the, sh- the episode that I was afraid to have. Um, okay. It was the, the trough of an ever-growing peak of three episodes to date. Mm-hmm. It is looks like it is very much following the, the Daredevil-styled kind of episode sequence where we get two to three, which are, oh my God, action-filled, wow, 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 wow. Mm-hmm. And then you have a, an episode, I'm calling filler, but it's not. Right. It's character progression, it's development, it's the lengthening, the de- going deeper into different um story arcs so it's still a great episode yeah um, and i I can't fault it Mm -hmm. it's just wasn't like the other three hours worth of content that we've seen so far in that it would it it had moments Mm -hmm. just not the to the same peak to the same action orientated be it action orientated or be it emotionally charged it just didn't have those yeah absolutely. it had some Scenes, mm-hmm. but not moments. Right. So there was no, uh, yeah, there was no big barroom fight scene. There was no attack on Kilgrave's apartment this time. Yeah, a lot more scenes, a lot more, a uh, lot more character moments in this episode. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Kilgrave has kind of melted back into the ether. There's um, certainly, I think, the way we're looking at it, it's always relative. It's kind of, you know, you're comparing it to the previous one as well as internally within that episode to say, you know, is it just generally a good episode or a great episode? Um, and then you're comparing it to what has gone before. Yeah. And so, as I say, I th- still think this is a good, solid episode. Um, it's just that obviously you have three before it, which I certainly thought were really standout. Um, and this is still good. Yeah. But it's a relative form of good uh, next to the the other uh, three that have gone so far. And again, it's a slower pace. It's looking at character development, development of ideas, and that that just takes a bit more time to really then give and pack that that emotional punch maybe at a later date. But we still get one here. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. 
Definitely. Well, listeners, thanks very much again for joining us. Really good to have you come in. If you've joined us from flickeringmyth.com, thanks very much. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes, uh, where you can subscribe to us on, uh, through any Apple device. Uh, if you're an Android person, you can go on and subscribe to us on Beyond Pod, uh, Podcast Addicts, um, Stitcher, just look for us under Defenders TV Podcast and make sure you share your thoughts with us about the episodes as we go. Uh, all you need to do is just email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or you can join us over on Facebook in our group or on our page. Um, those are again under defenderstvpodcast.com or you can follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast. Um, we're really enjoying the episodes and hope you are too. The way we cover our episodes here is that we talk about our top five points or the five points that stood out to us about the episodes and then we decide whether we defend it or not, depending on our thoughts overall. Um, we, we always start out our episodes with a synopsis. Uh, this episode, aka 99 Friends, was written by Hilly Hicks Jr., Great name. Yeah. Uh, and directed by David Patrika, who directed episode three. So he gets two episodes to direct in a row, just like S.J. Clarkson got for the first two. So I'm wondering if that's kind of a pattern that directors get a couple of episodes in a block to direct. Could be kind of interesting. John, do you want to tell us what we got in this episode? Jessica becomes racked with paranoia as she tries to uncover the people or person who took all of those photographs. She suspects that everyone and anyone could be under the influence of Kilgrave as he melts away into the background. A new case sent to Jessica from the office of Hogarth, Chow and Denovitz immediately raises alarm bells. But as she investigates further, her new client Audrey and her cheating husband have a very different agenda. In the meantime, Trish begins to recover and move on from her ordeal, apologising to Kilgrave live on air, and also forming an unexpected bond with her assailant, the police officer Will Simpson. The events at Trish Talk also yields unforeseen results as people come forward claiming that they too have been controlled and manipulated by Kilgrave. A cold and calculated Jerry Hogarth, though, establishes Jessica's therapy, a Kilgrave survivors group. The first meeting of the group throws up a lead as to the identity of the photographer that leads Jessica to a known associate close to home. Yeah, so lots going on in that episode. I want to take, uh, my point is actually in your synopsis there. Uh, my first point is about, uh, is about Officer Simpson's return. Um, we saw him get saved in the last episode by, uh, by Jessica when he was being forced to jump off the building by, uh, by Kilgrave. Uh, he was left not understanding the situation. He felt he'd killed Trish. Um, he didn't understand why he was still alive, didn't understand why Jessica saved him and didn't, doesn't understand why Trish is still alive. So, uh, this return is really interesting. I like, I like the build on this character. Um, he tells Trish that he's the kind of person that is always trying to save people and what uh, Kilgrave has done to him in turning him into one of his weapons is really at odds with his personality. And I really like how this character is being played, um, by Will, Tra- Will Travel is the actor's name. Um, we saw him at the New York Comic Con panel when we were over and he couldn't talk anything about this character at all other than to say he's a new york cop so i knew he was going to be a bigger character than we saw in the last episode but i didn't realize how important he was going to become or how integral he's going to be going to become uh, i really like how the part and i really like the role here i must say um really interesting that he's going back around to her house to make sure that jessica wasn't lying to him to see if he could find trish's body on the floor essentially brings another cop along with him and it shows you how tough uh, trish's door is doesn't it he's got a full battering ram and can't doesn't even make a dent in the door which is quite interesting um but yeah he just seems almost paralyzed by the fact that kilgrave has done this to him um which is interesting again another really deep toll being taken on a character that's been controlled by kilgrave and we see a lot of that in this episode yeah it's kind of like he 
you know, he's used to being the authority figure, being a cop, uh, and that was taken away from him. Uh, that that control, that that maybe power in itself, yeah, um, and that he's trying to deal with. I think as well, he he creates quite a lot of tension, or he did for me within this episode. I mean, to begin with, where he's hammering down the door, you are there going, is he back to kill her? Yeah. Um, you know, she's phoning up Jessica, or or is he there for some other reason, which you can't really think of at the time until it's maybe, yeah, he wants to get some answers. Yeah. But then again... It's like he's coming back to finish her off. Exactly. Yeah. And But that then, I think, stayed with me for the rest of the episode. So even later on, when he comes by himself out of uniform with the package, mm-hmm. which ends up being a gun that he passes to, to Trisha, you're kind of there going, is he doing this for his uh, for his own sake or is he still under the the control of Kilgrave? I mean, it is one of those things that is absolutely brilliant about um, this uh, main antagonist, Kilgrave, is that like Jessica in this episode, who's questioning everyone in terms of their motives, are they real, are they under um, the influence of Kilgrave? You as an audience member are there going, is this actually the cop? Or is it Kilgrave? Yeah. Um, all the time, you kind of, you kind of come into Jessica's world there. And that is one of the great things about this episode, I yeah. think, um, is, is how that pans out, especially with, uh, the cop, Will Simpson. Yeah. Um, and as I say, I'm the, when she opens the door and lets him in and the sat at the table, I was there thinking, is something going to happen here? Because from the trailer, he is the guy, from what I can see, dressed with the leather coat and the blonde hair. Mm-hmm. It seems to be he's the one with all the fire behind him. So maybe he's kind of like this deep Kilgrave maybe. agent. Maybe. Why is he giving her a gun? It is to protect, but could it be for something else? Yeah. If Kilgrave manages to get control of Trisha. Yeah. Um, so all these things are still fairly up in the air for me, but that to me, brought some of the greatest amount of tension in this episode. I really, really liked it. Yeah, I like that Trish keeps the hand on, her hand on the gun while he's sitting at the table with her. Again, we've always said she's smart. She's definitely smart in this episode. Um, but one of the other good things that comes from his character is, again, because of the invasiveness of what Kilgrave has done to him, I like his conversation with Jessica where he's saying, what can we do to take Kilgrave down? He's now joined Team Jones. He's basically saying that, that he's going to be totally involved in taking down Kilgrave, which is uh, which is really cool. He's saying he'll break the law. He's giving her an untraceable gun, which is illegal to do. Um, he's saying that he's going to give uh, Jessica all the all the video camera footage from across the city, whatever she needs, whether it's legal or illegal. Uh, he'll do it to take down Kilgrave. So he's now a man of single focus to get back the life that Kilgrave stole from, essentially. Yeah, but it's this whole thing of is it the truth or is it a subterfuge? Yeah, yeah. All of this. He could be given, you know, uh, an unlicensed gun because then it doesn't trace back to him or Kilgrave. Is he helping Jessica to to lay um, sort of seeds of doubt or a false trail? I mean, you know, and that has potentially huge implications for the person who supposedly is being revealed as the person giving the photographs um, to Kilgrave. So that's a really interesting thing. But all of this is potentially... Murky, John which is, is amazing. Right, John is getting paranoid, just like Jessica. I think, <laughs> but I think that's the key. That's a, the, the, we're we're meant to question everyone. It's 
Jerry Jerry's affair was out of her character, according to the the her ex wife. Mm-hmm. So is that a Kilgrave motive? Like, is it so that he she can Jerry can employ Jessica more right. and get deeper in with Jessica? Like, if maybe she thought Je- Kilgrave thought Jessica was a lesbian, mm-hmm. like. You're you're meant to question every part and decision, uh, aside from Jessica's. Yeah, is Luke a part of it? He doesn't know the thing. They, unless someone uses the kind of word like "limey bastard," uh-huh. um, obviously being slang for a, a UK person. Yeah, I I think then we're we're open to speculation. Is that everyone could? Hell, Patsy could be. Yeah, maybe. like Trish could be, um, like a, a triple threat, a sleeper agent. Like put in with Jessica, like, and I just I think that's the part I'm enjoying, which is I'm not trusting anyone bar Jessica. Right, right. And hell, we all we know Jessica could still be under control as well. Wow. In certain aspects of it. All right. Absolutely, and I think like it kind of comes on to one of my first points, um, and it's a counterpoint to that. I did have Trish and Will as one of my points as well, but in, in a counterpoint with um, Audrey Eastman, who comes to Jessica uh, as a client, mm. again, to, to go after her cheating husband, um, Andre, you're there, and as Jessica is thinking, is this someone sent by Kilgrave? Yeah. Um, no, it's sent by um, Hogarth's uh, office, but Jessica checks that, that lead out you know yeah. who is the guy that sent um this lady to her is he okay and you find out that he's actually one of the partners in the group and that he's dealing with hogarth's divorce yeah and but that ultimately becomes a red herring and a, a very different motivation uh, as to why she has gone to alias investigations to get um jessica on board yeah, and in the split moment before it was revealed what Eastman's plan was, right? Go with me on this one. Um, I, for some reason, thought that um, her husband, Andre, was sleeping possibly with Jerry's wife. And that's why, since since that particular uh, associate in, uh, in the law firm was dealing with the divorce, and she'd been sending Jessica to, take, to try and take photographs of her dirty secrets, essentially, I thought what was going to be the reveal was that Andre was sleeping with Jerry's wife. And I thought that's what was going to be yeah. it. And then the door opens and it's something completely different. I was taken completely aback by it. Absolutely. And Jerry had actually asked um, Jessica to get some dirt on her own yeah. ex-wife. So, but this, yeah, threw up a different issue and a different thing entirely. But again, it was another red herring. Yeah. Um, so the, there's, there's red herrings all being thrown here. And I mean, in this case, this is one where it all again links back to, um, the Avengers, the first Avengers movie Absolutely. and the destruction of New York, which again, I like to see that, that connection here between the, the TV universe and then obviously the cinematic universe, the yeah. MCU. Yeah. So that's really good. I think. Yeah, and for me, actually, again, great Avengers way, uh, segue, uh, into um, the, my one of my first points, which was this whole uh, discussion on the incident, mm-hmm. um, on, on obviously being the incident being the attack on New York City and Avengers, the film, or Avengers Assemble, depending on what country you're in. Yeah. Um, or Marvel's Avengers Assemble, as we had to call it. Yes, that too. <laughs> uh, and the, the mention of the green guy, the flag guy, or yeah. the man with the man in the flag and the green guy. I love that. Uh, yeah. They're not my friends. Uh, coming fantastically, 
And now I'm starting to see why they're using the word gifted. Mm-hmm. Because the flip side of that was freaks. Yeah. So it, it, and it's throwing up this dichotomy between, okay, they are powered, but people, uh, I think we, we discussed it briefly before was that the, the collateral damage mm-hmm. is the normal man to yes. all this. Yeah. So everything. So in Sarkovia, in mm-hmm. uh, Ultron, that was a whole city lifted. We still don't know what happened to all those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the bases that get consistently blown up, the the schools that get blown up in uh, Agents of Shield, mm-hmm. the uh, Daredevil's factories blowing up, and the the city on fire that we saw. Yeah, uh, or the the borough in on fire. Like, there's people getting hurt in the background, Absolutely. and then there's people like uh, Audrey and Andre who are. Talking about this, that they don't love heroes. Yeah. They think they're a menace. They're freaks. They, that they, they are the people that are destroying their day to day life. Yeah. And I think we mentioned it in one of our previous three episodes where, uh, the, if the timeline is going the same, people are not still not used to superheroes. Absolutely. Like the, we get mentions of the green guy, the flag guy, the guy with the hammer. Yeah. Like, and that's great. But people aren't used to Kilgrave's powers. They they haven't seen this before. Yeah. They're not used to a woman who can jump a building, uh, who can take a bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, she can't, but that was, like, <laughs> it was good. That, yeah. that was a nice one. Uh, so she's bleeding. Right. <laughs> um, but then a man with unbreakable skin. Mm-hmm. Like, this, they, these gifted people are new. Mm-hmm. And the whole, I think the one of the fun part we're seeing in this show is that when the devil made me do it or Kilgrave made me do it, you sound like you're special, yeah. retarded, as Audrey says. Yeah. I, that took me. Right, I was like, yeah. ooh, yeah. okay, again, this is a Mac series kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. They're, they're saying things that you wouldn't say in public. Absolutely. Um, but then I, I think it, it's just a really good kind of side issue that's going on in the environment of this show where people are not used to gifted people. They are freaks in their eyes. You are not human. Yeah, I think there's a great lesson that the Marvel writers have taken from DC, actually. They've taken it from Man of Steel, I feel. Um, The whole controversy around Superman fighting over Metropolis and destroying that city and what happens to the regular people when a huge battle happens over a city. It seems like the Marvel writers have kind of taken that and gone, gone, okay, we're going to use this for the Netflix shows, particularly for Daredevil, for Jessica Jones now, um, where in Daredevil, essentially what created all the bad guys in the city, the Kingpin, all the other characters, was that they were rebuilding the city and t- taking all those contracts and taking all that money from the destruction caused by the Shatari. And in this uh, episode of Jessica Jones, we see that Eastman has been created as a villain to kill Jessica because she's one of these special people. She's one of the powered people uh, that she can get to, essentially. Um, thought that was quite interesting. I love the connection of how she found out how Jessica was special is because uh, she works with the wife of the guy that she served the summons to in the first episode, uh, and he talks a lot. So I love that little connection where uh, where that's how she found out that Jessica's powered. That slipped by me. I was about to go, how did she know? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that she does actually directly say it. Yeah. And I think, like, one of the other good things about this tension between, um, you know, everyday people like the Eastmans mm-hmm. and then... Um, the superheroes like Jessica Jones who's getting embroiled in this is that, you know, 
this is a tension between them. There are collateral damage for New York being like leveled to an extent by the Shatari yeah. or by whatever other menace is, is happening. Um, and hopefully this, you know, builds up the tension as to why then politicians are going to want to have the superhero registration act. And that leads all to the civil war yeah, elements that yeah. this, tension between what the superheroes feel that they can just simply go and do mm. and what the ordinary public feel is yes they saved us but at what cost in, in that sense you know my mom as audrey eastman says was in that um, apartment in that building yeah. that you leveled in order to stop a shatari yes that's great but there's that personal element to it, and that leads ultimately to registering superheroes and the tension between the Avengers. So that's, I think, a really nice little way of introducing those kind of movements towards the Civil War movie uh, next year. Yeah. I think as well, I absolutely love Jessica's retort to uh, Audrey Eastman, which is like, um, you know, I lost my parents. Do I work my personal shit out in public, you know, with other people, or do I just deal with it myself? Yeah. And it is that then is the other angle to this, is yeah. that, you know, to what extent should Audrey go around and start shooting um, Jessica simply because of something that she actually didn't do? Yeah. But it's connected. And he knows she wasn't actually involved in either. Yeah. yeah. But it is simply connected by the fact that she is a superhero. That yeah. that can be, that you know, that, that can be a, a metaphor for any other type of person who Absolutely. doesn't get involved in something, but ultimately is of the same ilk and gets blamed or gets apportioned that blame despite never being involved in it. So yeah. it, it's it's really um, topical, and it, yeah. it's a really important thing that ultimately builds, I would suspect, to the Civil War movie. Yeah, no, and I'm curious to see, was this their first attempt? Is there a body bag or two Ooh, lying there somewhere? Interesting. So yeah. did will we find out that Audrey killed a number of others will we find out that she she's not working alone that there is a secret movement of daily day folks mm-hmm. the noobs the norms the norms uh, the non freaks the non gifted mm-hmm. who are hunting the freaks and the gifted to as a very much that kind of almost becomes like a vampire type thing yeah no really and like it is is that it's almost I was going to go more... The villagers going out yeah, to, to, to bring in uh, the vampire, you know, the witches, let's duck, you know, ducking stools, let's drown them, they can do stuff that we can't, right. um, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I no, mean, it, it, much... It's leading to that general frenzy um, of, of fear and tension, and that's what I think um, Civil War is all about and, and the the breakup of the Avengers and it's all coming from that. Look, this person can turn green, go mental, uh, and like destroy everything if they want to. Yeah. Um. In the Hulk, that you wouldn't allow that to run around in any normal society. Absolutely, you're totally right, and, and no huge spoilers for a civil war. But the way it starts is with the Stamford incident, which is a an incident that happens when. Um, a school is leveled by one of these heroes. Um, who's, a town. It's, uh, well, it's a, it's a, uh, school kids are all killed in a town in Stamford. Yeah. Um, essentially by by one of the one of the heroes trying to do his day to day job. And yeah, you're right. The villagers or and the people of America rise up against against all the superheroes. So I've been actually thinking going into Civil War and going into the next Avengers movies, what's going to be the big incident? But that incident's 
possibly already happened, and it is the incident in New York, and now the people of New York are rising against against the uh, the superpowered characters. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, and I'm wondering if Speedball might be introduced Maybe. because this is the first. We will we have Daredevil season two before uh, Civil War. I'm it's, not quite sure. It's very close in the timing. Yeah. yeah. So possibly we'll get Speedball, who is the uh, the perpetrator or the the one who people uh, who turns into ruin, not ruin. Uh, he be later becomes someone else. Uh, based on it's great. It's a great story arc. Uh, for the new it wasn't the new warriors. It was the it was the new warriors. It was the new warriors. Yeah. yeah. Um. But again, you can see all that play out quite easily in this Netflix esque style. Yeah. And then it just leads. They just need to then take plonk. What I and I think as we discussed before, I want them to take characters out of the Netflix universe. Yeah. Put them into the Agents of Shield. Uh, but more importantly, the films. Mm. I'd love to see the the films guys cross in, but again, that's paycheck possible. Yeah. It, that just may not happen. But it's quite easy to take a a, a, a unknown like a character of Speedball, put him in Netflix, give him a bit of a backstory. People are aware who he is, mm. and then make him gifted. Put him in the opening scene of Civil War. Yeah, there it is. So that's what I mean. That's what I'm really liking John's point because I think. This could possibly be mean that the incident that causes superhuman registration has already happened. It doesn't have to be the opening scene of the movie like it was the opening scene of the Civil War comics with Speedball. You actually don't need to create Speedball if this theory is correct. We've already had the incident in New York and that, that, sh- that'll be enough to propel these people into doing superhuman registration, which I think is quite an interesting idea. I think you'd need a more of another catalyst. Maybe. I think they'll use the incident, Sarkovia. Sarkovia and then something again because Sarkovia is outside of US mm-hmm. soil, so they'll probably use that as a these the 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 incident in New York, this uh, threat from across the sea, mm-hmm. and now this this is the end of it. This is what we need to do, yeah. and you'll have Cap as the Patriot versus Iron Man, the 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 lackey. Yeah, yeah. Or they'll flip those. Who knows? Yeah, very interesting idea. Um, I think it's on to my next point. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which is slightly connected to Eastman. Um, and it's the realization moment from Jessica. Uh, in the first episode of the show, we saw her telling us what her job was. Essentially, she had the, the voiceover t- saying that she's a PI that basically follows scumbags and takes photographs of them. And um, the realization that Jessica comes to in this episode is that that job is a horrible job. And no matter how scummy the other person is, because she's just realized that Kilgrave has been following her. Uh, with cameras all the time she thinks that um eastman's been sent again to follow her and make her go and take photographs of her husband having sex with somebody else essentially and so i like this realization even over just this small arc of episodes jessica's already realizing that she kind of put herself into this crappy horrible jobs that she's dealing with the scum of society in new york just thinks a really interesting realization to have already for the character and i think that leads into where jerry then asks Jessica to, to pull dirt up on her wife. Yeah. And it was like, and she was like, oh, I, I, again, I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember the exact line. I should have wrote it down in that Jessica's like, uh, she doesn't have dirt. She, she, she knows all about your dirt. Yeah. Uh, I'm not the only one who hides things really well. Yeah. You do what you are. You're a lawyer. Yeah. You're scum. Yeah. And then Jessica kind of goes, I now have to go dig up dirt on a nice person. Yeah. Although this person didn't give her the prescribed medication, yeah. so uh, I take go go crazy, Jessica. Yeah, but it is interesting that Jessica's starting to develop these connections with all the characters around her, and she's starting to feel, hold on a second, maybe my job isn't 
the nicest job in the world. If one of my friends asked me to investigate another one of my friends or another person I know, that's a tough a, a tough thing to do. Yeah, and she, she calls Jerry out as being, you know, sneaky. Yeah. Just because you're sneaky, it doesn't mean that she is. And I mean, actually... That was the line, th- yeah. This is one of my uh, kind of points is we really do see ice-cold Hogarth oh, here. Oh, yeah. Jerry Ho- Hogarth here is, quite frankly, a cold-hearted, you know, bitch, really. Yeah, yeah Yeah, I even think, you know, she's she wants Jessica to follow her ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Um, she's taking her PA to um, the, the restaurant where she uh, proposed to her ex-wife yeah. and bumps into her ex-wife out there. And, I mean, even her PA begins to kind of maybe a, a little spark emerges there to, to realize look it isn't appropriate to bring me here and um, she begins to see maybe that um you know she is a bit cold and um, you have her with all the interviews uh checking out all the stories about the the Kilgrave connection where she kind of goes well actually i wouldn't mind his gifts um being um on my side, you know, th- this idea that his skills and abilities would be really useful for someone like me. They would in a rotten but, law firm, wouldn't they? But, but mm. that's it. Like, she's really beginning to kind of show this rotten core, um, you know, that he would be useful. And, I mean, Jessica quite rightly goes pretty crazy and flips out at her, you know, saying, you know, what are you saying? Do you realise these are people that can be hurt? Yeah. It's this idea that... Um, she is viewing people as just legal cases, left, right, and center. This idea of an objective legal case without any kind of warmth or any kind of subjectivity. And this was one of the big things that really just flew out at me from, from this episode was just how low Jerry Hogarth, how cold she had become. Yeah. Um, you know, really, um, Really significant. I mean, I do like the Kilgrave survivors group. I thought this, this idea that, here you go, Jessica, here's your therapy group. I thought that was really, really funny how they did that. And also, I think, um, when Jessica comes in to see, uh, Hogarth and to check, you know, has this lady or Giesman been sent here by your firm or is this just a ruse? I think she says something once she goes, um, I, I couldn't hear you over that print. And she's referring to the PA's um, shirt, nice. the flowery shirt. It is good. really acid um, response from, from Jessica. You know, who this this girl, it's, it's a really good sort of additional bit of sarcasm from Jessica yeah. um, around um, the associations that Jerry has, which yeah. is her PA. It was really, really good. Absolutely. Um, and again, another bit of, another great little moment. You, you mentioned the scene of it at the restaurant. The PA's heart just breaks in that moment when she's, when she's essentially being told that, uh, Jerry's not going to give up the restaurant to her, her, her former wife. Um, just because that's where she proposed that she should know that that's not something you do to bring your next partner to the same restaurant that you're in. It's, it's a, it's relationship 101, but Jerry's not a, not a human relationships type of person. She's a cold hearted bitch, as you said. Um, yeah. Biatch. Sorry. Come on. Sorry, Chris. A cold hearted biatch. Yeah. There you go. Correct. No, and I, I think, but I, I'm actually enjoying Jer- Jerry's character. Absolutely. I'm on the Absolutely. flip side. Yeah. yeah. And, but I, I'm loving the fact we got the 90 nice lawyers. In 
Daredevil mm-hmm. in our avocados at law. This is the flip. Yep. This we well we, we we were given a, a taste of it in uh, Foggy's uh, old and Matt's old law firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is now this is what you would expect a lawyer to be like. Human emotion, meh. I don't side with losers. I like we have an emotional connection in a place. Yep. It's a place. It's not a thing. I actually I quite enjoy that um that cold heartedness that that like where where how how low are they going to take this person and I, I I'm hoping they go all the way down as we discussed I think in episode two. Listeners, bring... we're going to take a pulse. Yeah. Yes, no, he, he <laughs> is I am alive. alive. <laughs> I am. I, I just I, I, I associate, agree. but I think this is where we're going to see. Remember, we said this. Is, how is this jelly going to work into Iron Fist if it is the same jelly? Yeah. We are watching the complete destruction of someone. Yeah. yeah. And I love it. No, I do. <laughs> I, like, I think she's an amazing character, and I can't really wait to see her fail yeah. hugely. And I'm sure that that is what is being set up here, is that she comes across as no one matters. Um, I don't need to maintain these personal relationships. And in fact, if I if I dump them... Then, well, I will just take, you know, I'll just run through the same sequence of events, take her to this restaurant, yep. maybe propose to her in this. It, it doesn't matter. Yep. This is really like just, as you say, a kind of a procedural thing for her. Yeah. But it is good to see that side of, of, of someone in this show and to just see her, I presume, Something bad will happen, or yeah. she will fall from grace and and have a you know road to Damascus moment where she she realizes that she's been an absolute biatch yeah. and maybe will become the the more curring um, Jerry Hogarth CEO of Rand Corporation. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Kilgrave. I'm thinking that's what this is set up is really. They they will bring her to the brink where you don't care that Kilgrave's using her, mm. and then she'll, Kilgrave will make her do something that is so morally ambiguous. And now we'll find out that, and everyone just worse than being a lawyer. I think so. I think <laughs> sorry. so. Uh, sorry, all lawyers out there, sorry. we value your work. Please don't sue us. Um, <laughs> no, it's the. I think what we'll find out then. Everyone will assume that Kilgrave had made her do all these things, right. and it will turn out no. Kilgrave got to it just at the end made her do that last thing. Right. And then that's what will make her look back and go, oh my God, what have I become? Yeah. No, I see what you mean. And there's definitely a disregard for the people who are victims of Kilgrave. She definitely doesn't agree that they should be whining and moaning the way they are. Basically, it's that's completely unheard of for her. It's whatever happened to you today, get over it tomorrow and get on with your life is her attitude. Yeah, I mean, she's completely dubious. I love her line where she goes, you know, Kilgrave has just become this city's biggest excuse. Yeah. Like, as all these people are coming in um, to to tell their tale as to how uh, Kilgrave managed Manipulated them to do, I don't know, shoplifting or whatever it might be. Sleeping with the really hot yeah, man with no exactly. shirt. Oh, that is brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was one of my points. Was really about the about the uh, the group and their the things that are brought to brought to her. I love that the actual incidents of Kilgrave are so normal, well, not normal, but they're not as dramatic as as the ones that as the ones that people are using Kilgrave as an excuse for. Um, there's a woman that's saying that she's been ju- was just made to play the cello until her fingers bled another woman that was um that says that she was made to smile constantly and another guy that's that's saying that he had his leather jacket stolen by Kilgrave those are the three incidents that are actually involving Kilgrave the ones that aren't 
is a girl who's been knocked up by the uh, by the gardener who sleeps with everybody in the in the area. So her mother just assumes, well, this must be Kilgrave. It's not that he's a hot guy who leaves his shirt <laughs> off all the time. Um, there's uh, the other guy that says that he's been um, been made hold up at a, a petrol station, I think it is, or a Seven Eleven, essentially, with a with a gun by some guy with glowing eyes, clearly drug addict, uh, who's saying that uh, that there's someone in control. And then, yeah, some random guy who just thinks he met a person called Kilgrave who controlled his mind. Um, but yeah, I like that the the three incidents are they're they're again really invasive as as I've said before in previous episodes. If Kilgrave gets into your head at all and tells you to do something that you don't want to do and makes you want it, regardless of how small that thing is to you, it must be really invasive and you do have a really bad feeling afterwards. Whereas all the rest of the people are just kind of use it as an excuse. But I think it's a great moment. Um, one of my other points. Chris, what's your next point? Uh, I want to talk about the Easter eggs that we got in this episode because it was a bit more Easter egg filled. It was almost like an Easter egg basket. Um, Although it's not (laughs) April, May, March. Chocolate. Chocolate. Whenever Easter happens. Whenever Easter happens. Um, So you were talking about the Kilgrave scene. Mm -hmm. So the first one I want to bring up was he landed and emerged from a meteor. Right. So one of the descriptions. One of the the descriptions from the guys who thought this was Kilgrave. So that stinks to me of some kind of Easter egg of someone. Right. Um, I just can't put my finger on it. Okay. So an alien emerging from an, uh, a meteor. I'm thinking Hyperion. Um, as just a, it was just a joke. Mm-hmm. Hyperion was uh, Squadron Supreme. He was again in the Max characters mm-hmm. um, as uh, the Supreme Power series that was run. Right. Um, he is. The Marvel's answer to Superman. Mm-hmm. He is, he's an alien from another world that lands on Earth, blah, blah, blah. Right. I thought it was quite fun. Right. Then, could have been Howard the Duck. Could have been Howard the Duck, but uh, I think I someone, hope not. <laughs> no, I love that character and I love oh that film. Oh my gosh. Answers on the back of postcards. Chris was right or John was right. Just, just <laughs> let no, us know. No, 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 that's fine. I just. Oh, Seth the Green. The worst part about um, Guardians of the Galaxy for me was seeing Howard the Duck. But that was oh. just the fun part of it. Oh, and then no. Seth Green does the voice, and he is now the voice of Howard the Duck. I mm-hmm. don't care. I do. I love it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, listeners, hashtag John was right, hashtag Chris was right on Defenders Cast on Twitter. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I don't know who the uh, who the person who landed from the meteor could possibly be, but Hyperion's an interesting an interesting choice. That's uh, that's a bit out there. Yeah. Uh, second one, he walked out of the sea. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not Aquaman. But actually, now saying all this, this could be just a job at DC. Maybe. It could be a job at Superman <laughs> and uh, Aquaman, awesome. but yeah. most likely he walked out of the sea. I'm thinking. Submariner, no more. Yeah. They haven't introduced. Although, again, I don't know where the rights lie. Is that a Fox thing? Is it not a Fox thing? Is it actually a mutant? Is it Fantastic Four? There's some weird rights on that one, actually, because I remember them. It was that Submariner was brought as a character on his own, separately from all of the other characters, and has never been used. So I think it actually is in Fox, but not connected to... X-Men, not connected to Spider-Man, not connected to Fantastic Four. No more, for some reason, was the first character, I believe, that Marvel sold. And nothing has ever happened for him. So he's languished on a shelf with nobody ever able to write a story about them. And now with DC doing Aquaman as a movie, do you think Submariner's going to get his time in the sun? No, I don't, because um, news broke this week. time underwater, actually. Time underwater. Time under the sun. sun. He's mutant. He can breathe. He has the little wings on his feet. Yeah, oh, he was turned into a mutant, wasn't he? He yeah. wasn't a mutant originally. No, no. Yeah. He turns out he was one of the first, along with Apocalypse and so forth. Right. Um, 
the, no, I, th- I just think that those are two. Now, they could be just jokes mm-hmm. put in by the writers, but I think there's something there. Um, the one that I wanted to turn to our ever-loving Iron Fist fan, uh, Red-Eyed Asian Man, which, is, again, this is red-eyed, glowing red eyes, Asian man in a store. I couldn't place this one. Yeah, so this is the kind of uh, drunken drug addict that I mentioned, or drunken guy who holds up a store and says, there's an Asian guy in the store with glowing red eyes who told me what to do. Any ideas, John? Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it is. The only person I could actually think of was Davos, uh, the steel serpent, and potentially, uh, I think, the adopted son of... um, the Mother Crane, mm. so maybe a Madame Gao reference. Um, now, Davos doesn't always necessarily have red eyes, and so he doesn't in the Immortal Iron Fist, so it might not be him, but that's the only one I could really think of, and it, it, it linked in with the Steel Serpent mm-hmm. uh, imagery. Um, it could have been something to do with that. You know, this is, again, assuming the maybe an Iron Fist connection here. There is that, but one of the other things is that Hydra in the Immortal Iron Fist is involved. Right. So there are Hydra, and of course all the goons have got the the red eyes as well. And one of the mm. lead Hydra men there is an Asian guy who is trying to find um, the, the magical city of Kunlun. Right, right. So it could deal with that element yeah. as well. Maybe it could be a Hydra goon who's involved with... Davos, Maybe, rather than yeah. necessarily yeah. than Davos. Yeah. It could be some of that, but we'll just have to see. But I, I think it is a bit of a um, a leap of faith. Yeah. Yeah, and I think these are definitely just fun references yeah. um, for us. I don't think they're not like having the Steel Serpent symbol in Daredevil. Um, these references in the in the tales of who could possibly be Kilgrave and who isn't, I think a lot of them are lies, and a lot of them are excuses that's kind of set up beforehand. But I do like that they may have used some I'm hoping one. I'm hoping yeah. one will be turn out to be something real, completely different, something really different yeah. and not a lie, and that's just why I wanted to bring up. The final one um, is our ever-loving Trish. Um, so we got two pieces uh, of more information, mm-hmm. and I think you guys are going to discuss her more later in the situation. Um, so she used to have dolls made of her. Mm-hmm. So again, leading to the comic book. So this is the Pat. This is Patsy, um, who had a comic book all about her as a kid. Had dolls, the whole shebang. Um, her mother made the dolls, yeah. and then she talked about the red hair. Mm-hmm. So the red hair on the uh, doll and made out of sequins, as you said, yeah. and the red hair um, on look like cabbage patch doll. I think she said look um, at carrot top. Carrot top. That the was comedian. It. Yeah. The comedian. Um, Hellcat. Hellcat has flowing locks of red hair. Right. Um, now our Trish is now blonde. Mm-hmm. Maybe she is actually a secretly a redhead, we'll, or she dons as an actress as a child. She donned. Um, a red wig, red, a red wig. Maybe, yeah. and that's where she then puts on her secret identity by changing your hair colour you look like a completely different person absolutely if it works for Clark Kent with some glasses who yeah. knows just look at look at Arrow that seems to happen with all the female characters just stick on a wig and it's fine you're a completely different person oh no 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 but also like <laughs> by wearing a hood yeah. standing slightly in the dark mm-hmm. and using a voice modulator I'm never going to know you're Oliver Queen <laughs> so one thing that gets me I have to suspend my belief <laughs> Like, so you're wearing a ceramic mask, you've got a hood up just slightly, so yeah. it just darkens your forehead. 
Oh no, no, I'd never know who you are. Also, the fact you came home the exact same time Oliver Queen came back. Oh, no, of no, of no, no, no. In the age of high tech weaponry, you go medieval. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so strange. But uh, well, our listeners wouldn't know us if we use voice modulation, so maybe there's something. True, in okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but it does show why Marvel TV shows are generally better than the yes. DC shows. Oh, Flash. I'm sorry. We'll we will discuss that at another oh, point. Maybe. And also now with Patsy, I've just got. Abfab in my head as well. So now I've got this idea that she smokes a cigarette and is like always looking for Bolly. Um, <laughs> a bottle of champagne. But, uh, that's absolutely fabulous for uh, our American audience who might not know what John's uh, referring to there. And uh, before we kind of close up this point, I just want to ask again our listeners that if you have, if I've missed something in any of these Easter eggs, I am an egg hunter. I love this. So please don't forget, answer on the back of the postcard, comment on our Facebook page, send us uh, in one of our spoiler free or spoiler filled um, posts within the group or just tweet us directly at, at DefendersCast. Did I miss something or have I pretty much caught it? And if you actually think you know who the guy who in the meteor who or who walked out of the sea or this red eyed Asian man are, again, just let us know because I, I'm this is starting to annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I might find out. Who knows? Yeah. We're only on episode four. John, what's your next point? Uh my next point is definitely the midwitch cuckoo moment uh, of oh, yeah. the of the episode. The really creepy sort of batshit moment, which is the kid delivering Jessica Jones a message. Oh, yeah. Um, like, this is Children of the Corn, everyone's worst nightmare. You know, freakazoid kid, not it under their own control, talking like an adult. And then obviously just the way then it gets kind of implicated that Jessica has somehow uh, abducted the, the child. It is just, um, it's just one of those creepy moments that I absolutely love as a fan of horror and so on. I love seeing this kind of moment. There is nothing better than a creepy, slightly zoned out kid, um, preferably with, uh, golden eyes to, um, <laughs> and blonde hair to really get the heartbeat racing. Yeah. Loved it. Absolutely loved it classic yeah for me this was my one of my points as well and this was my uh, the holy shit moment that we're getting in every episode of some kind <laughs> mm-hmm. this was it it was the this was the oh this is just wrong moment where everything else is okay yeah no fine again Kilgrave is now going so low as to use a child and based on Jessica's pure anger and confusion this is a low moment for Kilgrave even. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he's using children now. She's, what, eight, eight years old as well? I yeah. say, yeah. Yeah, he actually asks her, and she says she's eight years old as well. Um, eight and three quarters. Uh, that's right, that's yeah. right. Yeah, those um, three quarters matter. Yeah, that is, a, that is a really creepy scene. And the one thing that kind of gets me about it as well is that when Jessica tries asking the questions and is, uh, is asking her where her mother is, her mother's very close by, so... When did Kilgrave get to this child as well is another really creepy thing. When was she out of sight of her mother long enough for Kilgrave to deliver all these, all these messages about Trish is now safe. I liked her apology on air. Um, but she's safe for now kind of thing. Um, when, when did Kilgrave get the time to give her all these messages when her mother wasn't looking? That's a really scary, creepy thing as well. Good or the mother's in Maybe, maybe. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I think as well, it was just the fact that Jessica had her brown paper bag with the bottle of whiskey in it, and of course then holding on to the kid, you know, it looks like some sort of crazy drunk 
uh, trying to kidnap uh, a kid a bit. You know, the mother is close yeah. by, comes and says, get your hands off my child. Again, just really good moment of tension. And obviously, the, the midwitch cuckoo, the fab. Yeah, yeah. So, Derek, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is back to Trish. I really like, you know, in the last episode, we talked about how strong she was as a character. And Jessica was finding out all about her and her self-defense and what she'd done to her apartment. Uh, she has absolutely turned this apartment into a prison for herself. She looks like she has just trapped herself inside with just the intercom, which almost felt a little bit like Hannibal Lecter almost. Not that she's like Hannibal Lecter, but it felt as secured as Hannibal Lecter is in those films. Um that she's just completely behind this door. She's talking through a two-way uh, intercom system. Um, when uh, Officer Simpson is trying to give her a present, she does the whole thing of you put it, you set it on the floor and step back to the other end of the hallway and I'll reach out and take it. It's very much like uh, the only way she can communicate with the outside world now because she's so scared is to make everybody step away from her. Uh, I really like the, the, that change in the character in one episode, really. Um, she was tough enough to stand up to him last time, and this time she wants to keep a big separation between them at the beginning of the episode, at least. Um, understandably, as we said earlier on. Um, but I, I just like how much of a prison this place has become for her. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, the prison's a very strong term for me, I would think, not because I've been there, people, um, just in terms of, I mean more of like it's a safe house. The, we, we saw that steel door was 100% secure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just needs to be that way. And I think, I don't know, they, the, the makeup was fantastic on the bruises on her neck. Yeah, yeah. When we saw that, I was like, okay, that's, because you could easily, you didn't even need to show that. Yeah. We, we all inferred from the scarf and the choking that, okay, she'll have bruises, but no, there was, and they looked like proper handprints and mm-hmm. it was quite, um, I was quite impressed. But I think more than that, I don't know, I think, Again, the, the layers of character development we're getting in every episode, especially this one. This was the, 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 all characters were meant to be brought to the next level to kind of the relationships are in the next level. So this relationship with Officer Simpson, mm-hmm. um, again, I, I just worry because every relationship so far in this, uh, TV show has imploded of yeah. some kind. Yeah. So this is, he he may be still under Kilgrave's control. We know every twelve hours Kilgrave needs to be topped up. Right. So you need to get your Kilgrave fix. If you've been away from him for that long, yeah, they yeah. kind of lost his power over you. Yeah. That was a really interesting sort of development, yeah. actually. Which mm-hmm. again is another kind of hint as to how maybe um, Jessica can get to him or the people he's gotten to. So yeah, that, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, what's your final point? Uh, my final point, the uh, name of the show and just how I find this interesting. I have 99 friends mm-hmm. um, um, and also red balloons. Uh, no, no, it's just <laughs> I have 99 friends in this borough and alone. Just getting one. Yeah. yeah. We discussed this and we're bringing, I want to bring it up now. Okay, so I, what, the way I see this is I have 99 friends. It most likely is a lie. Mm-hmm. I, I think this was a nice play on that actually in Manhattan in the comic books Manhattan is pretty central to a lot of comic book heroes Mm -hmm. you've got your Spider-Mans your Iron-Mans the Avengers Mansion you've got uh, Daredevil you've got all the Hell Kitchen guys I think this actually could be a play on you're gonna have she probably is aware of like 99 potential gifted people Mm. or she's heard rumours 99 rumours 
or a, a lot of rumours. Yeah. Because you've got to imagine now that we're we're now seeing all these things that the people are popping up. She probably goes there and reads the National Enquirer mm-hmm. because if she knows she's gifted, she may not have met them. Yeah. And the friend part might be a lie. But I think it's a, a play on that we may get to see consistent. That's why I love the, the talk on the, the guy walking out of the sea. and uh, So you would think that Jessica, after having knowing she's powered, she would track other uh, people like her. Mm. She would keep an eye. And what I'd love to see is a wall of weird. Right. Kind of like, I forget what that TV show was from. Anyway, uh, answers no. the back of Cardboard. Um, or just email us. Or just yeah, nobody yeah. uses the postal service anymore. <laughs> they should <laughs> feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com yeah. It'll cost you nothing. Pop them on the wall of weird. Where's that from? Um, but yeah, no, I'd love to think that that this is she is keeping an eye on it mm-hmm. um, because you would assume that the whole point on alias investigations was that she takes the cases no one else can. Yeah. So yeah. she would look for serial killers with superhero powers. Yeah. Or, or gifted powers. So like Kilgrave, she would look at a, a boy seen running and swinging around mm-hmm. Manhattan. She would look into a guy with unbreakable skin. She would look into a guy who puts his fist to a wall and it's glowing. Yeah. You'll hear all these, or a guy dressed up as a devil kind of swinging from the, the rafters and who seems to, with the grace of a ninja right yeah, like, yeah. I, I think like, I, that was fun Abs- absolutely and there's a, a really good point that I uh, that I noticed on this one um, we talked about the timeline of, of Jessica Jones and where it could possibly take place we know that it takes place after the Avengers incident in New York we're wondering if it takes place after uh, what's current what's going on in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the moment where the Terrigen Mists have created loads of new Inhumans yeah. which could lead to these 99 new suddenly appearing superheroes in New York. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting little, little tie-in, possibly, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So she may have heard, as you say, of a number of brand new superheroes that are appearing there. I definitely think the other part of it, again, is that this is absolutely a threat for Eastman. That's myself and 99 of my best friends are going to be round to your door tomorrow to beat the crap out of you if you don't get out of town. Um, that's much more threatening than going... Uh, yeah, me and my boyfriend will be around tomorrow, <laughs> despite the fact that her boyfriend has unbreakable skin. Well, see, I, 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 think, <laughs> you know? I think that's scary enough. <laughs> me and my six-foot, black, unbreakable, unhurtable boyfriend, yeah. while you also know I can jump tall buildings and, yeah, I'm super strong. Yeah. No, that would scare me. Yeah. No, 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 <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, no, I just thought it was nice. And I think, yeah, yeah. I, I'm starting to think that it is... Timeline-wise, uh, current up to where we are on Agent Shield. Do you would assume these guys talk? These writers talk. Oh, sure. Yeah, like yeah. You, they're gonna go. They're gonna share Easter eggs. They're gonna yeah. share. You're gonna have the ACU roaming around the terrors and mists. Yeah. People sprouting up with powers, uh, based on the radio call in in the last episode. Yeah. Yes, it's still kind of people are like, okay, yeah, you're just blaming the devil. Devil made me do it. Kilgrave made me do it. Yeah. No, that's public perception. That's mass. But you still think people would be slowly coming around to this idea, especially if everyone saw the incident, the mm-hmm. green guy and the flag guy, and there's people that they want to, they're, they're targeting these gifted freaks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, John, what's your final point? I think you've got the last big one. My final point is the big revelation. Yeah. Uh, coming out of this episode, that the episode uh, finishes on, which is that Malcolm, the heroin addict down the corridor from Jessica's apartment, is the one that's been taking the photographs of her yeah. and meeting up with Kilgrave 
presumably under Kilgrave's control, um, to to deliver these photographs of Jessica yeah. and has been following it. I suppose shocking. You see, like Absolutely. Jessica go into his apartment, see a printer with one of those pictures. Jessica's kind of uh, beginning to tear up because of this. Um, and I suppose, uh, you know, this has all come about from the Kilgrave survivors group where one of the guys who was forced to be his chauffeur for a week says that, you know, they went like clockwork to, to meet with this one guy who had a blue and white scarf. Yeah. Uh, obviously an Everton supporter. Um, <laughs> to pick and, and pick things up from him. And so she goes back to the video footage. Uh, and there he is. He's there yeah. following it in one of the video camera shots. So there's two things here for me. Um, one is that if he's following her, you know, he is known to Jessica. Yeah. He can't stay anonymous. So either it's because of that that he could get close and take the pictures because she knew him mm-hmm. and maybe she didn't see him with the camera. Or it, it's that, you know, maybe if she saw him that often or if she caught a glimpse of him, maybe several times then maybe she could have made that leap uh and deduced that it was him as well yeah you know if she's gone through this footage has she been seeing him all this time as she's gone through this footage and so because she goes back to it and spots him yeah so i was a bit unclear maybe as to whether he really would have been able to hide like that from her because he's known to her yeah. i just wondered about the mechanics of that but nonetheless you know it well, like is what? possible there's, there's 30 hours yeah. of footage that she's going through and she you definitely see that she's that she's checked it but i don't think she sat down for 30 hours going through it yet i think that's that's kind of that's yeah. kind of there when she's looking very specifically at the park moment um, and she's she's pausing it and fast forward through it, looking for him as well. Um, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I think that's and, and that's what I mean. He's inconspicuous. He hides in the background because she knows him. Like, yeah, she's not looking out for him. She's looking out for a stranger. It just doesn't draw her eye as such. Maybe. Yeah. But then I think the other thing is: is he a heroin addict because of Kilgrave? Yeah. Is it that? And um, that means it drives him to become a drug addict so that um, he can deal with Kilgrave being constantly in his head. Mm. Um, and that was the real sad thing there. And certainly when you put that in the context of the picture of him with his mum, um, you know, that was a really sad moment, I think, um, for me. This idea that his heroin addiction is driven by Kilgrave's enslavement, I suppose, of his mind yeah. uh, to do these things for him. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah, that was actually my, the same final point that I had because it's such a big point in the episode, I think. Um, but I had a slight twist on it. I think I understand your point, but I think mine is a slight twist on it. I'm wondering whether Kilgrave, this is the cover that Kilgrave has pushed him to do. I think I'm wondering whether Kilgrave has gone, okay, now you're obsessed with heroin so that he will be constantly... Um, looking the way he is, disheveled, meld into the background, will be ignored by everybody around him. And that's why he's getting close to Jessica. So his mission is to become a heroin addict and get close to Jessica all the time. So has he gone from being upstanding member of the community, seeming like looking very normal in that photograph, which seems to be only a couple of months beforehand, and now he's been pushed down the path. There's a, a, a moment in this episode where Jessica brings him into his apartment. He says, oh, you care? And she says, well, of course I do. I don't want to be another reason for you to do heroin. And he says, I don't need a reason. As in, I've been told this is what I must do. And oh, the fact that he suspects yeah, okay. the fact that he suspects her 
of not caring for him is again that piece of information that Kilgrave keeps passing on to everybody that she's uncaring. She left him to die. And um, so again, I wonder, is he another one of, is that the brainwashing that Kilgrave has given him? No, that's really good kind of idea. But I suppose the other thing as well, from what Chris was saying, if you need to be topped up with Kilgrave's mind influence every 12 to 13 hours. Yep. Yes, he might also be told to meet him at a particular location um, every so often. Yep. But his room is just down the corridor from Jessica's. Presumably, Kilgrave could conceivably have also gone into his apartment to top up those powers. Maybe. Like, it may not all have been separate or discreet from Jessica's apartment. Well, the chauffeur does say it's 10 a.m. every single day like clockwork. Yeah. That they meet, so that's the twelve. That's the oh, that's twenty four hours. Sorry, <laughs> so maybe there's math. another time. You're right. No, and I think I think sorry. that's I think the meth is another control mechanism. Maybe, yeah. I, I actually I, I never thought of it your way. Yeah. It was more like twelve every twelve hours. You're in my control. You go looking for Jessica, and then at X time, I want you meth out of it so that you don't go and tell Jessica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is it ten a.m. in the morning when Jessica is presumably still in bed with a yep. whiskey hangover? I'm really interested yeah. to see where they're going to go in in episode five. The, is Jessica going to now play dumb, play that she doesn't know, yeah. and use this, or is she going to call him out? Yeah, like that tear looked real. Yeah, absolutely. So she is hurt by this, but now is she based on this destructive path? That she is used to, where she segregates everyone. Is she going to use him again? Yeah. Is she just going to go, okay, now I know you're Kilgrave informant. I'm going to feed you false information. I'm going to let you follow me to weird places. Yeah. And make sure you think I'm where I am. And then, actually, or is she going to call him out and put him against the wall one-handed and then throw him out the window? Right. Something like that. Yeah. No, that's really interesting, I think, definitely. So I think that's the final points on the episode. Any, yep. any notes from anybody about this episode? Or do we cover everything off? Yeah, I've got a few notes, um, a couple. On uh, Whiskey Watch, we have uh, Maker's Mark making an appearance. Mm-hmm. And we also have Heaven Hills. I don't know that particular brand. Um, but there's two additional um I promise we'll whiskeys. get you some shots. Um, I definitely think that um, the reason why Heaven Hills, because I was being drunk very soon after um, the Midwich Cuckoo child was mm-hmm. involved. So, yeah, a, a, a stiff, yeah, <laughs> stiff drink there, definitely required. Um, and then the other great one was that police officer Simpson um, also liked G.I. Joe, uh, which is, you know, But they ended up brilliant. in a fire. Yeah. They all died in true. a fire, saving Barbie. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like Cobra, you know, got their way. <laughs> but don't, sorry, now, don't you think Simpson is the guy in the trailer? Yes. So, but in front of a building on fire? Yes. Oh, that's true. Oh, connection. Connection. Interesting. Live Spoilers from a trailer. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, because maybe he, <laughs> no, the, he becomes the G.I. Joe is standing in front of the burning building, and maybe Barbie is Patsy, and Patsy's in the building. Interesting. Oh, so <laughs> it's like therapy yeah. with dolls. Oh, okay, okay. And then lived out. Oh. Yeah, okay, yeah. So they were my two notes. Yeah. Interesting. Some interesting points for uh, for future watchings of episodes. Um, so, Chris, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? Oh, you're putting me in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have to actually say no. 
Okay. I'm going to be the elephant in the room. Um, I don't know why it's an elephant in a room. I, I, I know I'm big, but I'm not that big. Uh, thank you. No. You can no. be the whiskey bottle. In I'm the, the whiskey bottle in the room. Yeah, I'm going to use that from now on. Um, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say no. I do not defend this episode. Right. Um, this was this was the unfortunate thing that I was waiting for, which it we now know Jessica Jones is the same episodic kind of pattern as Daredevil. Right. We get a huge peak and it builds and builds and builds. Now I'm not saying that this is a bad episode. Please mm-hmm. do not take me on that. Right. I was just hoping that this would be an ever continuing crescendo and kind of peak. Um, mountain, if you will, a steep mountain building and building and building up to episode 12 and then episode 13 is this amazing cacophony of building mm. of uh, episodic pieces of content. We just didn't get that. This was the character development episode. Yeah. Same pretty much as I think it was episode four or five of Daredevil where we got that, mm-hmm. where we're going to just build out on the characters, backstory, bit more information here, a bit more information here, sprinkle it, and we'll just end on a nice cliffhanger uh, kind of discovery for you oh, yeah. to keep you interested. Um, I'm not saying I didn't like it. It just didn't do it for me. So... I'm going to not defend this one. Okay. And John, what's your feelings about this episode? Do you defend it? I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. I have to say, coming into this episode of the podcast, I may have been more uh, aligned with Chris on this. And certainly, maybe if you listen back to my opening statements, it's definitely a slower piece. Mm. And I still think that. But actually, um, you know, discussing this through with you guys, um, I actually liked the episode more and more. Again, it was as we delved into it, I think it explored more than um, I had originally thought of. Mm. And I think um, that is certainly um, goes with my score this time. I I originally was going to say 3.5, but instead I am going to go with another solid um, 4 Ice Cold Hogarths out of five. I think for me, her development was amazing mm-hmm. in this. It really, again, another good reveal of her character. Um, I love the whole X-File element of it. You know, trust no one. I love this. Everyone is a suspect yeah. that played in. And that really got me thinking that throughout this uh, episode as well. And, and to have that then red herring take you down a completely different track with Audrey and Andre Eastman, I thought was really, really good. Yeah. Um, I liked some of the stuff that we just teased out there with regards to, um, Will Simpson and maybe with his, you know, the, the GI Joe dolls. That's kind of an interesting thought. I think a lot of this stuff has set up later on. So we will either be proved right or wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think. It's, it is a slower episode. It doesn't necessarily grab you immediately. But again, it's still another good, solid episode. And I think in that sense, I do defend it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just want to say, I, it's not that I don't think this was a solid episode. I think it was just more character driven rather than plot driven. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I get yeah. your point. Definitely. It was uh, an episode that is slower. Yeah. Um, and, you know, seeing someone going around checking to see where photographs were taken from, that is, for some people, maybe a difficult hour to watch. It, yeah. it might make people switch off. I think as well, you know, I forgot to say, the reveal of Malcolm. Now, whether that is actually real or imagined, you know, mm. uh, a red herring in itself, it will be interesting to see yeah. um, quite how involved he is. That That's... 
the big bombshell from this episode. Yeah. And that was really good as yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. Derek, so I have to ask, do you defend this episode? Uh, I do defend this episode, actually. Uh, th- th- definitely, in fact. Um, what The big difference for me with the Netflix shows and the other shows that we've done, like Agent Carter, which we covered, um, is that they're all built into a 13-hour arc. Um, we're not watching them that way. We're watching them episode by episode and podcasting directly afterwards. Um, so what that means is it's like walking into the three-hour Avengers Age of Ultron. It's like coming in at the end of hour one and leaving before the start of hour two. Uh, so you've taken an hour of the film and just walking out of the cinema. Um, that's what it feels like, and that's what this episode feels like. We got a, a big cliffhanger at the end of the last episode, and we have another great moment at the end of this episode, which will lead you on to the next hour of content. Um, so these kind of episodes do feel like, yes, they're character building, but they are built into a structure of the episode before and after forming the whole. So um, so overall, this this episode didn't have hope in it, didn't have Luke Cage in it, didn't have any appearance of Kilgrave in it either. So quite different from the previous three. So I understand that there there wasn't as much um, excitement or as much... Um, Kilgravery. Kilgravery, possibly. But again, it's showing the impact of Kilgrave on the people that he leaves behind. It's showing that really freaky moment of the eight-year-old kid um, <laughs> cursing at her. Uh, really, really weird. Um, obviously, the development of Trish from being a really strong character in the last episode to hiding behind her, her door waiting for Jessica to save her this episode. The... Uh, the character of Simpson coming back from um, essentially not knowing what the hell happened to him last time when he jumped off a building and killed a woman in his head. Uh, I think those are great developments and really interesting to watch. Really enjoying this season. I'm really looking forward to episode five. Just on that point, um, about two or three months ago, Netflix actually released some statistics about that they actually know when people become addicted uh, to a show and, mm-hmm. like, and they actually like to start when they like to start binging from a point. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that they did this, they fed into House of Courage writers right. when they were segmenting the screenplay into the episodic parts. I, and I know they did it with Daredevil. Mm-hmm. So I would not be surprised that, okay, they went right as of with Daredevil, we saw this. So three episodes in, we need this style, 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 build, build, build. Right. Episode four, you can do a bit more character than build, 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 that kind of style. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's all they know, dude. They've even said, they officially said that this is how they'd like to build season two and three of House of Cards. Right. This is what they do. When they do their original content, they will, they take the look of when, how people of the, certain other shows, like we've all watched, say, Firefly. Mm-hmm. We know we wanted to binge up to a certain point. Yeah. So they'll build the character development that way now that they're writing it. That's it's interesting the... you say that because I always thought that's why I liked The Wire so much. It was that there were episodes that not so much happened in them, but they had a momentum yeah. yes. and they built and then they built again and then they built again and then there was a payoff and then it was layered as well, so there was a build even underneath that. It, yeah. was, it was multiple builds, and that was one of the things that I always, always like adored about The Wire, because, I mean, you know, they've said it many times, it's this idea of a book. Yeah. You know, you, you, you read a chapter, and there can be something in there that is hugely important, and building to other things, and take you off on a different direction. But then there's the payoff in, in chapter 10 or, you know, in episode five and so on. And it's only then maybe with a retrospective that you go, wow, that was chapter was amazing for doing this mm-hmm. and that or building just to the general 
conclusion and finale. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm totally with you uh, on that, that you could see that definitely. And then just to go back, I re- recently rewatched Daredevil mm-hmm. um, season one, and I know I gave some of them a lower score. N- looking at it its entirety and knowing how what the payoff was, where it would be, yeah. I would have twist changed my results. Right. Like, it's like you said, we're we're looking at these as a subset mm-hmm. of themselves. Each yeah. episode, we're, you're, we're not. This is the 13-hour movie. Yeah. Um, that I'm making you not watch all of. Sorry. <laughs> my God, people feel privileged that you can binge this. <laughs> I, I get to watch one more and then podcast and then one more yeah. and then podcast. We have to go and lock ourselves up now in the closet yeah. until the next episode five of Jessica Jones. <laughs> Sorry, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that bombshell, I think it's time to go on to this week's feedback. Uh, we got a little bit of feedback in from Rebecca Bradour. Um, just saying there's a little bit of a, an interesting connection from some of the uh, some of the elements used in the first couple of episodes uh, about Malcolm's search for peanut butter um, that apparently there's a comic book uh, which is kind of a an alternate universe comic book called Secret Wars Secret Love which features a discussion between Luke Cage and Jessica Jones about peanut butter that essentially um Jessica Jones is actually a fan of crunchy peanut butter, not not uh, the smooth peanut butter that Malcolm finds in her fridge uh, in episode one. So good little catch there, Rebecca. I don't know whether they intended that crossover, but uh, but a good uh, fun little one. Uh, apparently, uh, Secret War, Secret Love, uh, according to Rebecca, is actually a really enjoyable uh, crossover stories for a lot of characters that we see in the Marvel Max universe. Yeah, no, that sounds uh, really good. I, I believe that Squirrel Girl is in there as well somewhere. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, that, that's a nice little uh, pickup there for, from Rebecca. Thanks so much, yeah. We also received some feedback from David Wang for the first two episodes. He says, Dear Derek, Chris and John, I really kind of hope Jessica Jones could cross over with Daredevil already. Um, she wouldn't have to go through uh, the convincing Hogarth's attorney firm about Hope's innocence if only she knew about Nelson and Murdoch. Uh, seriously, those guys made their very first case by clearing the name of a woman caught red-handed on a murder scene. That should be right up their alley, especially now that Foggy knew about Matt's secret identity and his powers. He could pull Matt aside and secretly ask if he thinks she's lying and they would have no problem believing in innocent until proven guilty on a case like this this is a really good point yeah it'd be really good um, to see uh, avocados nelson and murdoch uh, at law um being involved in this and and maybe they will maybe hogarth you know we've seen her becoming increasingly cold and in- increasingly calculated yeah. very self-centered and um, very you know high-powered lawyer-esque uh, if if you want uh, something that nelson and murdoch certainly strived not to become so maybe these are the counterpoint to jerry hogarth's and um, in- increasingly cold uh, approach to hope um and certainly as you say then his powers could at least um determine whether she's innocent right from from the get-go that's a really good point and i'm definitely hoping there's going to be some crossover anyway and that would be a really nice little uh bit to cross over you know this contrast between different law firms really good i do like the idea of bringing in uh, jerry hogarth into into the show and i'm glad delighted the way they did it um but yeah i I can see the point i think there's a great idea to bring in uh, bring in that attorney firm I think in, in some other shows it would be much more connected like that that would be kind of the leap off point for Jessica Jones would be having her connected to Daredevil that, that closely I suppose 
David's second point is that he goes, in a way, I've been proven to have been spoiled by the trailers since they depicted Hope being detained as a criminal suspect. And the first episode fooled viewers into believing it ended with Hope going home with her parents. Also, Hope's actress being cast for all 13 episodes should have been a big clue. But then I didn't know who Erin Moriarty was beforehand. Mm. It's interesting you say that because actually as well, I was getting quite confused uh, between Hope but also Trish. And then actually I think it was uh, Jerry Hogarth's uh, assistant, assistant, personal assistant they've all got blonde hair and i have to say now certainly between hope and trish i think there was some similarity there that um i i just was getting confused with the actors and um, playing them because again i haven't seen erin moriarty beforehand in anything nor um the person who plays trish walker yeah in those two minute trailers yeah it's quite difficult to pick up uh, exactly who who's who essentially uh, i am aware of another of one of the spoiler that's in one of the trailers uh, for an episode we haven't seen yet as well so kind of disappointed in that um but hey that's that's what trailers do sometimes i think uh we are definitely the kind of people that will analyze a trailer over and over again we did an episode about it obviously um, and i think we we kept to being relatively spoiler free overall uh again luckily we saw the first episode at new york comic-con but certainly it's, um, yeah, it's it, it was a potential spoiler uh, within the trailers. And I think we said ourselves, actually, David, kind of that the first trailer really did sort of uh, provide a lot of information about mm. Kilgrave. I mean, I thought that was definitely more spoilery than the second trailer for sure. Um, David also kind of goes on to say that, you know, when Jessica was tracking down the kidney doctor, uh, I think it's Dr. Carrada, um, I half expected him to kill himself or attack her before she could get the info. I kind of agree with you. As soon as it started going down into the basement of, of the college or the university, I did expect him to kind of start attacking her in some way. And then when he didn't, I did kind of think, oh, well, okay then. And so, yeah, definitely was expecting him necessarily to do something negative towards her rather than be quite open with with the information. But it, it was a nice change. As well, David, also, um, in relation to what if uh, Nelson and Murdoch took Hope's case, he is wondering if we're even going to get a Daredevil reference, mm. seeing that Luke and Jessica didn't mention him during their snack date in the beginning of episode three. That's true. Um, like, I still think that potentially there is um, Matt Murdock in the elevator up against the uh, the side of the wall. It could be a ninja. We don't know. The we you know there was the, the discussion from the trailer, yeah. from the trailer that mm. Derek and I had um, about that. So it'd be interesting to see if we do get Daredevil. Will he have the red costume? Will he mm. have the black costume? You know, where are we in that timeline? Um, but certainly. I would hope we see Nelson and Murdoch for sure. Yeah, I do. I do understand the point, though, David. It, it would be. It's interesting that during this time, there's probably been a newspaper story about uh, the Devil of Hell's Kitchen, as he was called in uh, in Daredevil. But we're not sure exactly of the timeline. It is possible that this show takes place very similar timeline to uh, to Daredevil, so that hasn't actually happened. Perhaps um, they haven't seen the papers saying saying about the Devil of Hell's Kitchen just yet. But you never know. There might be an appearance of them in the future. Yeah, and then David's final point, his fifth point, um, like the structure of our podcast, um, he does say that I'm very unfamiliar with Trish's character. Uh, To be honest, as as was I, uh, David, definitely. Um, And I was pretty freaked out, he goes on to say, when blood dripped from her nose in the glass. I thought that 
Kilgrave had gotten to her, made her poison herself and go pay no attention to any negative changes to her health. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because we didn't really pull that out in episode three at all. Um, but I do have it in my notes from that episode wondering what on earth was going on there. So yeah. that's a good catch. And I'm glad you brought that up because it allows us to sort of mention it here now. But certainly... I was wondering, what's that about? Is that because she was training too hard? Is it that she's got some medical condition that she's not telling anyone about yeah. um, for the time being? Or is it something else? Yeah, I remember when I saw the scene, I thought, hey, hold on a second, maybe it's because she's famous and she's taking lots of coke and that's why she's going to her nose is bleeding or something like that. But yeah, um, I think it was to do with the training, uh, the, the fight scene that she's having, or the fight sequence, I suppose, that she's going through with her trainer in the in the room. So I remember seeing it and going, uh-oh, Kilgar's got to her, and then realising pretty quickly it's just a reference to the fact that she's been punched in the face, um, possibly during that training session. So, uh, But thanks very much, so much for that. David, uh, really good to hear from you again. He says, keep up the great work. So um, thank you, David. We'll we'll certainly try and keep on listening. It's great to get your feedback, as always. Um, if you want to send us in your feedback, you can email it to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you're a an Apple user at uh, defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes, or you can subscribe to us on any good Android podcast catcher that you have. The ones we know of are uh, Beyond Pod, Podcast Addicts, Stitcher, um, there's tons more out there, but let us know if you can't find us. Uh, but all you need to do is search for Defenders TV Podcast. Yeah, you can also follow us on our Facebook group or page. Just search Defenders TV Podcast and join in the conversation uh, on each of the episodes there. Or you can follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast and interact with us there. Uh, we'll be obviously posting through all these different platforms. But again, um, Thank you so much for listening. Um, it's been a blast. Um, we can't wait for episode five. Thanks. Thank you so much. No, cheers, guys. And don't remember, John was hashtag John was right or hashtag Chris was right um, for <laughs> to, to solve this mystery. And then finally, um, any Easter eggs that you've spot that I've missed or any thoughts on who the guy in the meteor was or emerging from the sea or Mr. Red-Eyed Asian Man, please let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday uh, as our episodes are being released every Tuesday from now on. Thanks. Cheers and defend. Bye. 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 <laughs> Great stuff, guys. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.